The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, kind of picking up where we left off in Ephesians as we consider speaking the truth in love to one another as the way that uh, blesses the body, grows the body, helps grace flow through the body. And so um, we're, we're going to look at, uh, again, this passage here about putting off and putting on, and then he's going to get practical here in, in a variety of ways. We're going to look at one of those examples this morning about speaking the truth to one another. What does that look like? And so um, just follow, let's read the passage first, and then we'll consider um, what's being said here. Starting in verse 17, all right, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which, is, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now this is an example of what Paul is telling the church to do, is to speak the truth and love to one another. He's saying, hey, help, help people to realize, help especially us to realize that we're we're not living like everyone else lives, but we're living according to what God has created us to be. And that means that we put off the old manner of life, and we put on the new creation that we are in Christ, and in we, between, we, we have our, our minds renewed, the attitudes, the desires of our minds renewed, according to God's grace. And he's functioning here at the level of desire. He's getting all the way down to not just, like, what do I do, but what do I want? And he's saying, the way that you, everybody lived before, they lived for whatever they wanted. And ultimately, it was destructive. It was deceitful. It, it, it promised one thing and delivered destruction in its place. But Christ has come in. He's, he's given us new life, new hope, based on a love of the Father, grace and mercy poured out to us. And because of that, we are recreated or newly created as children of God to live in holiness and righteousness. And therefore, our desires are changing. And not only do our desires change, therefore our actions change as well. Why does that matter? Well, here he gives, he starts off and he gives one example of what this looks like. And he's going to give several in this paragraph. But I'm going to start with this one today and look at it in detail. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You say, well, I thought that everybody knew that lying was bad. And to an extent that's true, but it's also true that when it suits our purpose, 
and our purpose, I mean generally humankind's purpose, we often lie, right? We, we lie to get what we want ultimately. We, and not only that, but we live in a misinformation age, right? I mean, they have to, they've had to put out whole you know, sections of companies to deal with the misinformation and the disinformation that's out there. So it's not like people aren't lying just because they know it's wrong. <laughs> in fact, it seems like people tell the truth in order to lie sometimes. I was reading an article by Melissa Hagenboom from the BBC, and uh, she was pointing out that there's a term for this, when you, where you tell the truth, but it's in order to lie. It's called paltering. And politicians probably do it the most. Uh, she uses an illustration from the UK. She says, for instance, the UK's Labour Party campaign video to lower the voting age. So I don't know what their voting age is in the UK, but let's say it's 18. They want to lower it to 16. And their, their line to campaign for this is, you're 16. Now you can get married, join the army, work full time, but unfortunately you can't vote, right? That's their campaign, right? So they want to lower the voting age. She says, the, the BBC's reality check team discovered, I suppose that's kind of like our fact-checking teams that are out there, right, these days, discovered that these facts do not tell the whole truth. You can, you can only join the army age 16 or 17 with your parents' permission, the reality team check wrote. At that age, you also need your parents' permission to get married, unless you do so in Scotland. Scotland's different. Since 2013, 16- and 17-year-olds cannot work full-time in England, but can work full-time in the other three home nations with some restrictions. So it's, it's more complicated than what they're saying. But they're telling the truth. You can do those things if you get your parents' permission. And isn't that the way sometimes that we, we, we have to, we live in an age where it seems like people are like, well, I'm telling you the truth, but you're like, but you're not telling me the whole truth, or you're not giving me pertinent facts, or it seems like you're concealing something with your truth, Right? We live in an age of disinformation. Like, sometimes it's just overwhelming you with enough information that you don't just ask the really pertinent question that would really matter in your decision-making, right? And here Paul is saying, as new creations in Christ, that we are members of one another. That is the thing that should drive our, our desires as Christians now. And remember, he's writing to Jews and Gentiles that viewed each other as enemies before. But, but now he's saying, hey, you need to not view one another as enemies, view one another as neighbors, as even members of the same body. And that changes the way you operate. So I want to look first of all at kind of point number one here, which is don't take the bait of lying. Maybe explore this a little bit, help you to see the challenge of this. And then go into what we are in Christ as a result and how that counters this. When are you most tempted to lie? Ever think about that? As a kid, I was most tempted to lie when I got caught, right? <laughs> like, I didn't want the consequences. And so I was tempted to lie. As an adult, I'm probably most tempted to lie when I'm trying to sell a car. You know what I mean? Like, I have value here. I, I want to get what I think it's valuable as, but if I reveal all the problems about my cars, and my cars usually have plenty of problems by the time I'm selling them, they might not value it as much as I value my car, right? I, I, I'm tempted to lie. I, I, I have been lied when I bought to when I bought cars. 
There was one time we were buying Kais' car. We was his car down in Pella, and, and uh, we went and dro- drove down there, and the guy's like, yeah, my daughter, my daughter's uh, turning, getting ready for college, and I'm trying to sell this car and get her a new car. And so, oh, okay, great, sounds great. We drove it. Well, got it. Then, then uh, when, we, when he did the transfer of title, he didn't check that it wasn't a salvage title. I, was, I, I like, called him up. I was like, hey, hey uh, you didn't check that it wasn't a salvage title. He's like, well, yeah, I, I guess it's, it's not. Or, I mean, it is a salvage title. I was like, what? He's like, well, the, my daughter you know, got hit by a deer, you know what I mean? And so, but we got it fixed, you know. Okay, but you could have said, you know what I mean? I wondered because he was asking 3400 for the car. I said, well, can, I give me, can, you, can I take it for 3000 He's like, yeah. I was, I was like, wow, that was quick, you know what I mean? <laughs> he knew something I didn't, you know. Um, that, that kind of exchange, right, where, where we have sometimes conflicting desires about what we want out of something, and so we're willing, or we're tempted at least, to lie because we want what we want. When we get into the cases of lying, it seems like we always jump to the edge cases. Like, here's a couple of questions for you, like, what about surprise parties? You know, would you lie to someone to conceal their surprise party from them? Or, or what about this classic case, right? What if you're hiding Jews in your house and the Nazis are asking you if there's, if there's, uh, you know, if there's Jews in your house? How, how would you handle those? I don't think Paul is actually going after that kind of scenario initially, at least. I think he's more interested in the culture of the day that often viewed lying as somewhat of an art form, as good to do when it suited your interests. And in fact, the, the Mideastern culture overall um, views lying, to, especially to your enemies, as, as something that you should do and almost want to do. In fact, the, the Islam religion comes out of that culture and they've kind of codified this in their, this idea, because Shame, we live in, a, in primarily what you consider a guilt, innocence, or righteousness culture, okay? So I was reading an, art, uh, an e-book about that this week, and they were saying, like, let's just take the classic example of being in the pool, okay? In, in a Western culture, uh, the lifeguard blows the whistle. What does everyone do? They turn their head to see if what? If the, if the lifeguard is looking at them, if they're guilty, if they're the one, the lifeguard's like, no, stop doing that, right? That's what we all do in, in, in Western culture. In, in an honor-shame culture, the lifeguard blows the whistle, nobody looks. Not because nobody isn't necessarily doing anything wrong, but because in a, an honor-shame culture, everyone assumes that they're doing, try, everyone's trying to operate honorably, okay? So they're not going to look. They're just not. And, and so this is the culture, frankly, that Paul is writing to, where, and I, I just found this quote from Al-Ghazali. He's a medieval Muslim theologian. And he writes this. Know that a lie is not wrong in itself, okay? This is what he's writing, okay? Not, a lie is not wrong in itself, but only because of the evil conclusions to which it leads the hearer, making him believe something that is not really the case. Ignorance sometimes is an advantage. 
And if a lie causes this kind of ignorance, it may be allowed. So, so in, in a Muslim religion, they're so legalistic, like some things are forbidden, some things are permissible, you can do it sometimes, some things are allowed, you can, you can do it if you want to do it, and some things are obligatory, that is, you must do it, okay? He's saying, it's, it's okay, you know, if it gives you an advantage, it's okay to lie, <laughs> you know? Conceal, that's, that's not an active, it's basically not telling the full truth. He goes on to say, it is sometimes a duty, an obligation to lie. If lying and truth both lead to a good result, you must tell the truth, for a lie is forbidden in this case. If a lie is the only way to reach good results, it is allowable. A lie is lawful when it is the only path to duty. We must lie when truth leads to unpleasant results, but tell the truth when it leads to good results. Notice what he's saying there? He's basically saying, if it gets you what you want, you're allowed to lie. And if, if you're in a difficult situation, like say a Muslim is, is being confronted about being Muslim and not Christian, you can lie even about that. Here's how the, com- the commentator summarized his point. The rule for telling the truth or not is bound by honor and shame. If shame can be avoided or honor obtained, then lying is more honorable and therefore the thing to do. That's the, the, the culture that, that Paul is writing in and amongst. Not that everyone followed this, but, but that lying was considered something that could be good under certain circumstances. And in, in opposition to this, David wrote in Psalm 4, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? God does not view telling a lie as intrinsically, it doesn't matter, the result matters. He's saying he is a God of truth himself. The way, that it's not just the, it's the ends that matter, it's the means that matter as well. And while it's common in politics to conceal the truth with truth, it's also okay in everyday life. Consider the estate agent who tells a potential buyer that an unpopular property has lots of inquiries when asked how many actual bids there have been, you know, like, yeah, there's a lot of people interested. Well, well three, you know, or none. You're the first guy that asked about this property, you know. Or the used car salesman who says a car started up extremely well on a frosty morning without disclosing that it broke down a week later, <laughs> right? Both statements are true, but mask the reality of the unpopular property or the dodgy car. Again, we're getting down into layers of desire. What he's saying is, is there's a deceitful desire that's present in us, especially in our flesh, in that sense, to, for personal profit, personal gain, to get what we want out of life, right? We go through life and we run into a situation where we realize, I could not get, I might not get what I want here. <laughs> How do I get what I want? And it's easy to fall into the rationalization of, well, I can lie, because getting what I want is more important than telling the truth. How then does God correct this? What does God say about this? He could give a lot of reasons, right? He could say, well, I'm the God of truth, you should tell the truth. Or, it's just right to tell the truth. Or, uh, if, you, if you don't tell the truth, you're going to be punished. 
Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, right? Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He goes to the fact that it, by God's grace, by God's mercy, we're, we're members of one another. Now, the members of one another could mean a couple of things. It, it could mean we're members of the same household, right? Ephesians chapter 2. We've been placed into this body of, of believers, the, the members of the household of God. It, it also could mean that we're members of the same body. Frankly, in that sense, both applied in the same sense, right? Because we're, what I do affects what someone else does is the point. And that we're placed here as members of the body. It's interesting, even in our culture, as compared to maybe previous years. I was reading an article this week, and it talked about differences in education between, let's say, 1960, 1950, 1960, and today in schools. It said the, the, the goal of education in the 50s and 60s was to, to get you to play on a team well, <laughs> Okay. It, it, the goal was to say, okay, if you ran into a conflict in education, what's the goal of our education? To, learn, to help you to play on a team, to work together with other people. You say, uh, all the older people are like, well, duh. <laughs> like, what else would you educate people for? Well, in, in today's world, if you, if you run into a conflict in education, you, the goal for education is self-expression. What helps the young person to express themselves, to know themselves, to be the, their authentic self better? That's the goal of education. Okay, So you can see why we can have some conflict of desires, even between generations. And here, what, which also goes even to what the, the Muslim theologian was saying, in a sense, right? Basically, it's, it's okay to lie to infidels. If you're, not a, if you're talking to a non-Muslim, can do what you want. Why? Because they don't matter. But here, Paul is saying we are members of one another. Not, yes, you matter, but also the other person matters as well. We are members of one another. We're, we're together in this, this unit, whether it's the body of Christ or the household of God, we're in this unit, and each, each member matters. Not only that, but what, therefore, what I do to, to another member of the body ultimately affects me as well, right? And this, he's emphasizing grace here, okay? So he's just, think about it from this standpoint. Do you deserve to be part of this body, this, this household of God? Have you done anything to earn it? Do you... Is it because of your background, like the, the, the parents you had, did they place you in this body? Or, or it's because of the amount of money that you've achieved in your lifetime or the status you have in your life. Are any of those reasons why you're in this body? No. The reason why we're in the body of God, the body of Christ, is because his mercy and grace, right, reached down into our death and destruction and placed us into his kingdom, He's forgiven us of our sins. He's redeemed us. He's, he's made us his children. He's placed us into his family. We are sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is who we are. We're, we're members together of this. The people that you are, are, are seeing around you right now that are Christians, you're going to be with them forever. 
for infinity and beyond, right? These are your people. And it's only by God's mercy that you can experience this. It's only by God's grace that you have this. And the implied question in the context is, why would you lie to members of your own household? Why would you lie to your own body? Because we have been given something amazing. And I realize it's in vogue in some ways today to criticize the church, to say, look at the weaknesses of the church, to see the problems of the church. And the church is not perfect. But there's something about attacking, I mean, the, the point of this is that this is what Satan wants to do, you know. Why would lying and disinformation be accelerating in our culture? Partially because we, we, we now view everyone as the enemy. We view everyone as, the, as a pro- potential problem. Everyone is, is not, not lined up with our, our, our desires, and we're always an antagonism to someone else, right? Like, think of your neighbors even, right? You think, well, they're pretty good people, but do you, tr- do you trust them? <laughs> do you, do you want to have a relationship with them? Or are... Or are you like, well, if I happen to interact with him, if he's going to borrow my stuff, or I'm going to borrow his stuff, or maybe I'm going to sell him my car, uh, we might not have the same values. We might not have the same, that might be true. But is that what we're called to as Christians? Because the implied question in this verse is, is if we're speaking the truth and love to grow the body, even, even a person that is unsaved that you meet could be potentially a member of the body eventually, right? Like, how would you treat a potential family member? You see the challenge here we have, and it's accelerating our culture, I think, overall. We're accelerating into this idea that we're all our own little islands, we're all our own little kingdoms, and we're not so interested in other people's needs because we're all looking out for ourselves. And Paul is saying here, no. No, that's, that's what Satan wants you to believe. Satan wants you to think, well, I've got to look out for myself. Even the church is, is, is the, the, everybody's just looking out for themselves, you know. And that's not true. Can, I, can we just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all right? Just turn back there. I want you to see this. That's why I say turn back there and just see 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. He's talking about the body of Christ. Verse 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have, not, I have no need of you, nor again to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those, the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, with which our more presentable parts do not require. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the, party, the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
He's saying here, first of all, he's like, hey, every member matters. Every part matters. Just because you're not an eye or you're not a foot or you're not a hand doesn't mean you're not important, right? And he's also saying, therefore, we treat one another a little differently in the body because of the the needs that different people represent. That's okay. That's part of being in the body. Sometimes I think we think of the body of Christ as, okay, everybody's going to be like me and think like me and act like me because we're all one in Christ, right? No, there's different members of the body. People have different desires on how to love others, different skills on how to love others. It's, and if you don't recognize that, then you're going to be, well, the body always fails me. Well, it's most likely because you're asking the body to do something the body isn't designed to do, <laughs> you know? Like if I asked my body to jump 10 feet and dunk a ball, it would fail every time, just being honest, right? Especially at 48, because it's not designed to do that. It was never designed to do that. I never dunked a ball. Okay, I'll be clear. Just be clear. Be honest. We're talking about not lying, right? Um, uh, but I couldn't do it now for sure, right? It, and some, this critique of the body is sometimes, frankly, it's selfishly motivated because it's saying, well, I want the body to do this when the body was not designed to do that. It was designed to honor and glorify God, to love others. It's not designed to sin. It's not designed to prioritize someone else over Christ. And we need to be careful in our critique of the body because the body is the, the visible presence of God on the earth. And it's not perfect, but God didn't design it to be perfect. He designed it, he designed it to show off the mercy and grace of God, Right? We need to be honest with one another when we see problems, but in the midst of sharing those problems, let's focus on the mercy and grace of God. That God has loved us, that he has shown us mercy, that he has enabled us to love one another in the midst of problems, not in the midst of a lack of problems. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, let's, let's, let's show honor to one another. Let's, let's look at the ones we say, well, they're weak. They, they, don't, they don't deserve honor. No, they deserve more honor because they're weak, right? Like, I dress myself up. Why? Because I'm, I want to show off certain parts of my body and hide other parts. And my whole body is fine with that. You know what I mean? So sometimes this tension is because we want to be something we're not. And sometimes this tension is because we want the body to be something that it's not. And what he's saying here, as we flip back to Ephesians chapter 4, what he's saying here is, this is the grace of God amongst us. He has placed you into this body. You are in a group of people that are destined for eternity. And not destined for eternity in destruction in hell, but destined for eternity in heaven. The mercy and grace that is going to be poured out on each one of us for eternity is infinite and overwhelming to consider. Can can you think about it for just a minute? 10,000 years from now, you're not dead. Your body is not going to be molding in a grave somewhere or the earth is not going to be destroyed somewhere. You're going to be praising God and, and being able to do good and experience good and enjoy life in God forever. Not because you've earned it, but because Christ died on a cross 
for you. And because of that, we can rejoice in this joint membership together that we're commonly under the mercy and grace of God. And therefore, we need to, as Paul says it here, speak truth with your neighbor. Did I do that too fast? Sorry. Point number two is rejoice in the joint membership, which I just got done with, and then speak truth with your neighbor. We need to speak truth with our neighbors. Why is this? Well, think of the body for just a second. We, the, the body overall, what does it do? Most of the time, your, your nerves are telling you, oh, it hurts here, you know? Oh, I've got a headache. I need to respond. Oh, there, there, there's nerves going throughout the body that are sending signals for pain, for pleasure, etc. Do this, don't do that. Why? Can you imagine if your nerves lied to you the entire time? <laughs> there are people that are like that, right? They, they have no signals for pain. Their, their nerves don't signal pain to their bodies. It's really dangerous for them, right? Because they can be like sticking their hand in fire and not even know it. So most of the time we speak truth to one another. It, it, that's the way it works. Now, sometimes, have you ever had something that's really traumatic? Like um, one time I, I injured my knee in soccer, right? And it felt fine. <laughs> like I had, had I caused traumatic, traumatic damage to my knee, but my knee felt fine. Why? Because my nerves had shut off the signals to my knee and was like, hey, it's overwhelmed right now. Just try to function as best you can. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why? Because my body is concerned not just with information, but with health. So you say, well, that puts us in, like, how much is health, is truth? How does that go together? How do we speak truth with our neighbor? I think, first of all, this means that it's not just, the speech is not just about communicating facts, okay? Sometimes we think, okay, well then, if I'm supposed to speak truth with my neighbor, I can be blunt, I can be, you know, I can the facts. The speech is more than just telling facts. It's also about providing care. It's about showing loyalty. So when you're speaking truth with your neighbor, you're saying, hey, these are things that are important to me. I hope they're important to you. This is where I'm at. What, what's going on with you? How, how do you see this? We, we speak truth not just at a level of information, but at a level of desire, of care, of heart. Why? Because we're members of one another. My, my hand is concerned about my knee. Not just, is my knee okay or not, but it wants my knees to succeed, right? And in the process of doing that, it takes wisdom to know what kind of information to pass on and when. And, and it's not a matter of manipulation. So here's the key here. Lying is about personal profit, personal gain, what's best for me. Communicating truth is about saying what's good here, what's, what's good about the situation, right? How can we promote good in the scenario? Zechariah 8 verse 16 says, these are the things that you shall do. Speak truth to one another, render in your gates judgments that are true, and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. So he's saying speak truth to one another. It means more than just sharing facts. It's about speaking about desire and heart. It's about communicating care in the midst of life. And that means a couple of things. One is you've got to be honest about your own desires, okay? 
at least with yourself. You've got to be speaking truth with yourself before you can speak truth with your neighbor, okay? Do, do you know what you really want in a situation? Do you, do you know where you're at? Like if I'm trying to sell my car, I do. I'm going to be honest. I want the most value I can get out of the situation, but I'm also honest. My car is not that valuable. Can I be honest about both sides of that, you know? Can, can I... Can I work in the context of those things? Because if you're never honest with yourself, you're never going to be able to speak truth with your neighbor, right? Make sense? So do you know what you want? Are you honest about whether that want is good or not? Notice also that he frames it this way, Paul does. He says, speak truth with your neighbor. What he's doing here in that sense is he's reframing the, the scenario. Because in some ways, in their culture, they viewed everyone as potential enemies rather than potential neighbors, right? Why did Jesus have to tell the, the parable of the, the, the neighbor, right? Like, who's my neighbor? You know, the, tax, you know, the guy comes to, who's my neighbor? He's like, well, let me tell you. You're Samaritan and does a better job of being a neighbor than the average Jew, right? And, and so he's saying, think about it from that perspective, if we, if we, in general, if we set up relationships to say, you're my neighbor, you matter to me, I'm going to treat you with care and integrity, speak truth to you, how well will those, not, the question was how well will those relationships go, but it's even more than that. How well will that honor God, right? Because we are members of one another. Because there's, there's edge cases, in a sense. When you get into war, if your ne- neighbor turns out to be your enemy, well, t- the difference is here, w- when you have neighbors, you basically, you have similar desires. You, you want desires that overall align, you know? He, I might want to be wanting to sell my car, and he wants to get good value. We both understand the desires that we want, even if we're trying to figure out where the, the middle point is. But... But with, with our enemies, they, they might have totally different desires, right? God says to love our enemies. It's true. But it's going to look differently in that scenario. My encouragement to you is beyond the, the course of this message is look, go back in the Old Testament and see how God treats his enemies. It would be a good study to, to help you think it through. But in general, what we're doing here is we're, we're saying, I'm going to speak truth with my neighbor. I want to, to do this. And not only do we, should we do it, we need to do it. Whether you live in an apartment or you live in a home, have you ever had this conversation with your neighbors? Something like this. Neighbor, I'm glad you're my neighbor. I want you to know that Christ has changed my life, and uh, it just means that I'm going to try to be honest with you, have integrity with you, look out for your needs as well as my own. You might not understand all that, but I'm just letting you know that. And if you have questions, I'll be glad to talk about it sometime. But I want you to know up front that I'm going to treat you with honesty as best I can. And if you find something that, where you think I'm not being honest, you come tell me because I'm, that's my goal, is to treat you with honesty and integrity. I, th- I think we need to have that conversation more and more with our neighbors. Why? Because we're living in a c- culture more and more that doesn't, that doesn't operate that way, and you can't take that for granted anymore. And frankly, it's a chance for us as salt and light to be salt and light 
to speak the truth in love in that sense, to say, Christ has changed me. I'm going to operate differently with you. I'm going to treat you as a real neighbor, as someone who has real needs that I'm going to treat with, with, with honesty and integrity and seek to meet those needs as best I can. I'm not going to treat you as an enemy, as someone that, that has opposing needs to mine, is antagonistic to me, and that, I can't, that I'm only going to deal with if I have to. See, do you see the difference in perspective? Because we need to speak the truth in love. We need to be the kind of people that are saying, Christ has changed my life. I live differently now. And you say, well, everyone knows that you're supposed to speak the truth. Yeah, maybe, but we need to speak the truth. We need to speak the truth in love, say this is who we are as believers. We are people who believe that we're members for eternity with one another in the body of Christ. There are people in relationships that matter for eternity, not just for a couple of years here on earth while we're neighbors. And therefore, I want to speak truth. I want to be just. I want to love mercy. And I want to operate that way as a believer, not thinking, oh, lie can get me ahead, maybe I should lie. But thinking, man, they could be a member with me of the body of Christ forever. How should I treat them? How should I talk to them? How should I operate with them? Paul is saying here, it means we need to put away falsehood. That's a deceitful desire. Yeah, you might get you what you want, but ultimately destroys the relationship. That guy that sold me Kaisa's car, after I found that out, I really didn't respect him, right? <laughs> I was like, who cares? I mean, but as believers, we can speak the truth to one another. We can build relationships of integrity with one another. And so I encourage you, I, I, I implore you, speak the truth in love. Put away falsehood. Don't just live for yourself. Don't just live for what's good for you. Think about how you can speak the truth with your neighbor in such a way that you both are built up. You both are edified. And ultimately, you both can point to God as the God of mercy and grace that helps us in our time of need. Will you get it always right? No. Sometimes you'll forget information. Sometimes you'll, you'll not realize a, pertinent, a point of information is, is important. We live in an information age. It's overwhelming. The point is not to get it perfect. The point is to set it up in a relationship where you're like, I'm trying to tell you the truth. I'm trying to give you what you need. I'm trying to look after you because we're speaking the truth with our neighbors as members of the body of Christ. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, because of the mercy and grace that we have received, we want to be different. We want to live for Christ. Christ spoke truth to us. He said, unless you follow me, you will be destroyed forever. And so we follow him. We trust him. We look to his death on our behalf. And Lord, we want to honor what Christ has done for us and how we treat one another by putting away falsehood and speaking truth with our neighbors. Help us to do that. In your son's name, amen.